you will turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 14 through 18 this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. And as you find that, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour the truth of your word into our hearts today. Father, conform us into the image of your Son. Rescue us from ourselves, from our sin. Father, fix our eyes on Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Last week, we began studying the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians, a letter in which he takes head on the outrageously false claim that salvation is a result of human effort, any amount of human effort, as opposed to complete and total faith in Jesus Christ alone. Really, Paul has answered two basic questions in this letter. Question number one, he's answered is this. What is the true gospel? What is the true gospel? Or to put it another way, how can a sinful person be justified or counted righteous before a holy God? That's question number one. Question number two that Paul has answered in this letter is this. What does life look like for someone who is believing the true gospel? Or another way we could say it is, how should someone who has been justified through faith in Jesus, justified before God, how should that person live out the rest of their life here on this earth? And we could summarize the, que- the answer to question number one, what is the gospel in this way? The true gospel is the good news that Jesus took our place on the cross so that everyone who rejects their own works as contributing anything to their salvation and places their faith in Jesus Christ alone is then justified before God or counted righteous before God. If you wanted two kind of summary verses of Paul answering that question, you could go to Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 or you could go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. You put those two verses together and you have the true gospel as Paul answers that question in Galatians. But then the second question, uh, how do we live out this faith, this justification before God? How does that change our lives? The answer to question number two is basically this. All those who through faith in Jesus have been set free from the burden of trying to earn their salvation, then live out their salvation by lovingly serving one another in the church and by doing good to everyone through the power of God's Spirit that now lives in them, through their faith in Jesus. If you wanted a few summary verses for that, you could go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Those three verses would kind of summarize the answer to that second question. How do we live our lives as Christians? So that's really a summary of the whole letter to the Galatians. But now as Paul closes out this letter in chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, he does so by speaking of two types of boasting. In verses 11 through 13, Paul spoke about the wrong kind of boasting, which is boasting in the flesh. And that boasting was characterized by the false teachers that had come into the churches in Galatia And they were teaching a works-based salvation, and they were boasting in their own flesh. And so last week, we saw that boasting in the flesh exposes a works-based salvation. But now in the second part of his closing, verses 14 through 18, Paul turns his attention to the right kind of boasting. 
the right kind of boasting. And that's where we want to turn our attention to today. Whereas in verses 11 through 13, we saw wrong boasting exposed. Today, in verses 14 through 18, we want to see right boasting exemplified. Right boasting exemplified. So if you will, uh, follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 14 through 18. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Here's the main truth for today. Boasting in the cross exemplifies a grace-based salvation. Boasting in the cross exemplifies a grace-based salvation. I want us to think for just a moment about the first part of verse 14 concerning boasting in the cross. And then I want us to see three reasons why we should boast only in the cross. And notice the word but at the beginning of verse 14. That marks a contrast. The contrast, as we looked at the first part last week, is a contrast between two types of boasting. Verse 13 ended with these words. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So on one side of the ring, if you will, is the view of salvation that is based on human works, which is characterized by a boasting in the flesh. But then in verse 14, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So on the other side of the ring, on the other side of the ring, you have this view of salvation that is based completely upon God's grace and therefore is characterized by boasting in God's work of grace on the cross. Paul, a man who had spent really his entire life trying to attain justification before God, trying to gain or earn salvation by being obedient to the law, but who then experienced the saving power of the crucified and resurrected Jesus, this Paul is adamant concerning which side of the ring he is on. He says, far be it from me or forbid it that I should boast in anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see Paul uh, making a similar claim in the book of Philippians. In chapter 3, I'd encourage you to take some time this week and, and read all of Philippians chapter 3. But there we find Paul, after giving the reasons why he could boast in his flesh, he says, but whatever gain I count as loss. Indeed, I count all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians and in Galatians, Paul refused to boast in any human achievement because human achievement is useless to rescue us from our sin and to reconcile us back to God. And so that really begs the question, what can rescue us from sin? What can reconcile us as sinners back into a right relationship with a holy God? Not our works, but Christ's work on the cross. And that's why Paul says, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to focus for just a moment, focus our attention on this word cross, on the cross. The cross was a symbol of shame in the society in which Paul is writing this. We don't think about the cross this way, but it was. Even the word cross, that word was not a polite word to use in Roman society. 
I mean, they were the ones that invented crucifixion, but they, they didn't even want to mention that word in public. It wasn't a nice thing to say. And so in order to get around having to say the word cross, they, the Romans actually came up with another way of referring to crucifixion. They would say, hang him on the unlucky tree. Hang him on the unlucky tree. Because the word cross was so offensive. And it's hard for us to picture the cross that way. Why? Because every time we see the cross, it's either wrapped in silver and gold hanging around our necks or it's decorated with all these beautiful colors um, just to, to, to match the, our home decor so we can put it on our wall and it goes with everything else in our, in our living room. The cross was a bloody, humiliating, horrific means of human execution. So how then is it that Paul could say, all human achievement was useless in justifying us before God and then follow that up with boasting in a bloody cross that was built and meant for criminals. Why, why would he say that? Well, because there is power when the man on the cross is the perfect son of God who is willingly offering himself up as an acceptable sacrifice to God to be received as a just and righteous payment for our sin. So that by his death on the cross, we could be forgiven and reconciled back to God. That's why we boast in the cross. You see, when I stand before God one day, all earthly accomplishments will count for nothing. Now, holding on to earthly accomplishments, holding on to our earthly trophies on that day when we stand before God, it's going to be like holding oil in our hands. You ever try to hold oil in your hands? You know what happens? It just slips right through. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't hold on to it. So if you're banking on presenting your good, good works to God one day, and saying, hey, 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 God, look at what I, get, I did. Here, God, take this. Take these good works. Please let me into your kingdom. Then beware. For on that day you will find that empty are the hands that present human effort and achievement to God as payment for entrance into his kingdom. You'll stretch out your hands toward God only to find your hands empty of anything of value. In that moment, those good works and those human achievements count for nothing. But if on that day when you stand before God empty handed, not holding on to human achievement, not banking on your good works, but boasting only in the cross, you stand before God and you say the cross, the cross, the cross. I don't have anything to give you, God, that is of any value. It's only because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary's cross. I have nothing to pay, for Jesus has paid it all. My only boast is in the cross of Christ. Then the response will be, welcome my child, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my eternal kingdom. Enjoy your blood-bought inheritance in my presence forever. F.F. Bruce said it this way, But Paul, Roman citizen by birth and religious Jew by upbringing, not only dismisses as the merest refuse, those things in which he had once taken a proper pride, but embraces as the most worthwhile goal in life the knowledge of the crucified Christ and boasts in his cross a shocking paradox indeed. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9, verse 23 through 24 of Jeremiah said this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. 
that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul, commenting on the words of Jeremiah in his letter, first letter to the Corinthians, said this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's look at the rest of this passage in Galatians and unpack this question of why. Why should we boast only in the cross? The first reason we see there in the second part of verse 14 is this. We boast only in the cross because only the cross destroys our sin. We boast only in the cross because only the cross destroys our sin. Notice that last part of verse 14. Paul says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is referring to the bad news of sin in our lives. Which must be dealt with if we could ever be justified, counted righteous before God. See, the word world here in verse 14 is used to refer to the realm of sin over which Satan rules. And we're born into this world enslaved to sin. And it's the world that says that we can work our way out of this sin and into a right relationship with God. But Paul says this world, the power of sin, no longer holds him in bondage to sin and its man-centered view of salvation Not because of anything he's done, but because of what has happened through the death of Christ on the cross. In writing, the world has been crucified to me. Paul is saying the world's hold on me is severed through the cross. Isn't that good news? The sin no longer has dominion over me. And then in saying, and I have been crucified to the world, Paul is saying that his hold on the world. His love affair with the things of this world and all the boasting in the flesh associated with that has been severed through the cross. Put it succinctly, Paul is saying that the cross destroys our sin, which is the very thing that separates us from the holy, righteous God of this universe. And we live in a culture where many, many, even in the church, even many churches don't want to talk about the depth of our sin. We just want to skip over that bad news. But if you stop talking about sin, you know what happens as a result? You stop talking about the cross. Because when you stop talking about sin, then you forget why the cross was necessary to destroy our sin. Christian, your intimate relationship with the world, your love and affection for the things of this world has been severed through the cross. The cross breaks the spell of the world in our lives. The cross breaks the curse, as Paul has written about in Galatians. Because of the cross, your sin is replaced with holiness. Your desire to conform to the ways of this world is replaced with a desire to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. The destruction of sin occurs and takes place in your life. 
Because of the cross, we who belong to Christ are in the world. But as Jesus said, we are not of the world any longer. C.T. Studd was a missionary to China, India, and Africa in the late 1800s and early 1900s. One of my favorite missionaries to read about. And his son-in-law wrote of many people responding to the gospel as a result of C.T.'s work there in India. However, his son-in-law, C.T.'s son-in-law, revealed that only some of those who claimed to have received salvation actually had believed in Jesus, as was evidenced by the change of life following their conversion. Others, however, proved that they never really were saved because they just went right back into the ways of the world. And I like the way that C.T. Studd's son-in-law, Norman Grubb, described the situation. He said this, But the pull of the world was very strong in this popular station. And only those who stood, excuse me, only those stood who really went the whole way with God and who got a salvation which took the love of the world out of their hearts. I love that description of salvation. This salvation strips us of our love for the things of this world. True salvation takes the love of the world out of our hearts. And it's only Jesus' death on the cross that accomplishes this crucifixion of the world to us and us to the world. We've got no ability to do that on our own. So we can't boast in anything that we've done. We can only boast in the work of Christ on the cross. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn. That's become a favorite of the church. It's called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I, want to, I really want to read all of it to you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to read verse 4. And actually, verse 4 is omitted in our hymnals. But he uses in this verse the color crimson to refer to the blood of Jesus. And he uses the word globe to refer to the world. In verse 4, Isaac Watts says this. His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. We boast only in the cross because only in the cross do we find our sin being destroyed. But not only does the cross destroy our sin by causing a death to take place between us and the world, but the cross also gives us a new life by transforming us from the inside out. Reason number two is this. We boast only in the cross because only the cross gives new life. Only the cross gives new life. Notice verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul is getting at the heart of our greatest need as humans. Listen, listen. This is not a message that you find preached in our culture. We are not mostly good people who just need to get a little bit better. We'll take it a step further. We're not even mostly bad people who need to go through some steps or some classes or some programs to go from being bad to being good. God's Word tells us that we are dead people who need to be resurrected to new life. We're not mostly good And just need to get better. We're not mostly bad and need to become good. We are dead and need to be made alive. And it's only by the cross that we're given this new life. If you can't look at your life and say, I once was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. 
But friend, you are on your way to a Christless eternity in hell. Because the only people that make it to heaven are people who are new creations. That's not something that you and I can do on our own. It's only something that God can do. Sometimes I hear people share their testimonies of salvation, and in them, it kind of goes like this. Well, I went to church a little bit as a kid, and then um, I kind of stopped going, and I started going down the wrong road in life, and then made some bad choices, and, and then a little bit later in life, I, I, I realized I wasn't making good choices, and so I decided I should start going back to church, and I kind of cleaned up my life a little bit, and got things back in order, and, um, and now, I'm, now I'm back in church. And Friends, that's not a testimony of salvation. That's not a testimony of someone being resurrected to new life. That's a testimony of a dead person trying to breathe new life into himself when he doesn't even have any breath in his lungs. That's the story of someone who is trying to improve their life. But Paul says in verse 15, we don't need an improvement in our lives. We need to become a new creation. We can't do that on our own. Only God can do that. And He's done that through the death of His Son on the cross. We need the old to be gone and the new to come. See, Paul says it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision at the end of the day. Your good works or your lack of good works do not matter when it comes to gaining salvation. It's about becoming a new creation. It's only something that's possible through the work of Jesus on the cross. So we boast only in the cross because only the cross destroys our sin. And only the cross gives us new life. Both of which are absolutely necessary in order for us to be justified before God. Now let's look at one more reason. One more reason why we ought only to boast in the cross. We boast only in the cross because only the cross is worth living for and worth dying for. Only the cross is worth living for and worth dying for. There's a lot that could be said about verses 16 through 18. I just want you to notice three things. I'm going to summarize them in three words. A condition, a blessing, and a cost. We see in verses 16 through 18, a condition, a blessing, and a cost. And as we see these three things, this condition and blessing and cost, I think it will leave us believing that only the cross is worth living for and worth dying for. First, I want you to notice the condition. Paul says, and as for all who walk by this rule, the condition for receiving the blessing, which we'll talk about in just a moment, the condition is walking by this rule. Notice that at the beginning of verse 16. The way Paul words it assumes that there are some, there are those who don't walk by this rule. Thus, the blessing is conditional. Not everyone has this blessing. But what is this rule that Paul is referring to? The word rule in the Greek is, comes from the Greek word canon. Canon, that's how we would pronounce it, which literally means a cane or a reed. A cane or a reed. Think about growing on the edge of a pond. Uh, some kind of cane or a reed they're growing. These reeds were used as a standard of measurement, kind of like a yardstick would be, right? It's three reeds long, so to speak. And so the word canon in Greek was often used to refer to a standard of measurement, but Paul then employs this word to refer to a standard of sound doctrine, which is the true gospel, or we could say the rule of faith. So as for all who walk by this standard of sound doctrine, the standard that that the false teacher's doctrine didn't measure up to, 
when they said that you had to do something yourself to earn God's love and salvation. What is that rule of faith? What is the standard of sound doctrine? It is all that Paul has explained in his letter to the Galatians. We can summarize it like this. It is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, as taught in Scripture alone, which leads to a life lived for the glory of God alone. That is the standard of doctrine that Paul is referring to. It is the condition. You know, this closing greeting is intended to invoke a sense of self-examination on the part of the Galatians and on our part as well. As Paul's done several times in this letter, he writes in such a way that makes us stop and go, wait a second, am I in the faith? Have I been justified? Do I have the spirit? Am I walking by this rule, this doctrine, this standard, this true gospel message? Am I trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Is that evident in the way that I'm living my life for the glory of Jesus? Is it evident in the fact that spiritual fruit is being produced in my life? Is it evident in the fact that I am living in loving service towards one another? Is it evident? And the fact that I'm seeking to do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. All of those are things that Paul has talked about in Galatians. Or am I trusting in someone or something else? Am I am I looking to my own efforts, my own good works, my Sunday school attendance, my church involvement, my Bible reading, my financial contributions to the church, my missions work? Am I looking to those things that I have done as the basis for my salvation? Is my only boast in the cross of Christ or am I boasting in something that I have done or am doing? The condition is faith in Jesus lived out in daily life. And this blessing is only for those who walk by this rule. Only those who believe this true gospel of grace. And what is the blessing? Notice these two words. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy. If you choose to believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, if you choose to trust in what he did on the cross was enough to pay the price for your sin, rescue you from your sin, friends, you are blessed with peace with God. Your broken relationship with God is put back new. It is fixed. It is reconciled. You have peace with God. And that's the result of the mercy that God shows you as you place your faith in Jesus. Oh, what a blessing this is. What a blessing to know that, that I, instead of standing as an enemy of God, I stand as a friend of God. It's my only hope. It's my only hope in this life. That's my only hope in the next that I am at peace with God. And it's only possible because of the mercy that God shows us through His Son on the cross. And picking up a key word in verse 18, it's all a gift of grace. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You know what comes next. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Paul doesn't shy away from the issue at hand. You're either believing the true gospel and are blessed with peace and mercy, or you are believing a false gospel. And as he said in chapter 1, you are accursed by God. The church must never compromise on this essential 
point of doctrine. There is only one gospel. And in a culture and society that champions a pluralistic view of, of spiritual matters, where we see, that, we see people saying that all roads lead to heaven, and, and, and people say that we should care more about not offending someone than standing firm on what we believe, that the cross is the only means of justification. In that kind of culture, we must stand following Paul's example and say, you may be offended, but there is only one true gospel. There is only one way to heaven. And if you're not walking in this rule of faith, you're excluded from the blessings of God. Oh, but if you choose to walk in this rule of faith, how incredible are the eternal blessings in Christ. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're excluded from these blessings of eternal peace and mercy with God. But you don't have to stay there. Even today, even right now in this moment. In your heart, you can cry out to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. And none of my accomplishments are of any value and reconciling me back into a right relationship with you. And today, I trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And I trust in Him alone to rescue me from my sin. And friend, if you do that, God will transform you. He will come in and He will save you. He has promised that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then you can begin a life of boasting only in the cross. The condition is to walk in the true gospel of grace. The blessing is eternal peace with God resulting from His mercy and grace. But there is a cost involved. I said there was a condition, and there was a blessing, and there was a cost. It's not a cost that we must pay to earn this blessing, for we've already said, Paul's already said, that this blessing of salvation is a free gift. But there is a cost associated with boasting in this cross. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because remember, remember the cross is not... A piece of decoration or an ornament is a means of execution and death. As we saw last week in verse 12, the false teachers who were troubling Paul and the Galatians were trying to avoid the cost of being associated with the cross, but not Paul. In verse 17, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What were these marks on Paul's body? Had he taken a pen and and written the name Jesus on him or drew a picture of a cross on him? No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. These These marks were the scars of persecution. The Galatians would have known firsthand about the marks on Paul's body that he was talking about. In Acts chapter 14, we read about Paul's first missionary journey where he traveled to the region of Galatia. We find these words. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That happened in a city called Lystra, which is in the region of Galatia, to where Paul is writing this letter. It's very likely that some of those reading this letter witnessed Paul being stoned that day in Lystra. Do you know what? It's even possible that some of those who are reading this letter who are now Christians were the very ones throwing the stones at Paul on that day. When Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, they knew what marks he was talking about. And that's just one instance from the Apostle Paul's life where he was persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Paul may have been saying even something much deeper than that as he spoke of his scars of persecution. You see, in those days, slaves were branded, just like we would brand a cow today, so that people would know who that slave's owner was. And so it's very likely that when Paul says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, he is saying that he bears the mark of his master, that these scars are his proof. That he belongs to Jesus. You see, if we think about the context in which this was written, the false teachers boasted in their mark of circumcision and the marks of circumcision of their converts. But those marks just prove that at best their masters were the Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem and at worst that their master was Satan. However, Paul says, look at these marks on my body. My master is Jesus. Only those marked by the cross are true sons of God. The mark of the cross for Paul was scars of persecution. One person put verse 17 this way. It's like Paul is saying this. You want something to brag about? You want identity markers? I'll give you identity markers. You see these scars? I'm branded for Jesus. Become like me. Maybe you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it to be ridiculed, to be mocked for the sake of Christ and his cross? Do you remember the missionary I mentioned a little while ago, C.T. Studd? He gave his life to sharing the gospel in China, India, and Africa. Speaking of the the cost of following Jesus, C.T. Studd said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. See, it comes down at the end of the day to whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God dying on the cross to rescue you from your sin. If you believe that, then you will be like Paul. You will be like C.T. Studd. You will consider the price and you will count the price worth it. To give yourself totally to faith in Jesus. I want us to end this sermon and our study in the book of Galatians. The same way that we began. With grace. The same way Paul ends with grace. A focus on grace. See, as we consider the cross if we really trust in Christ and the grace that He pours into our lives, then we will consider the cross worth living and worth dying for. In verse 18, Paul says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And Paul is pointing us He's pointing the Galatians. He's pointing all who would read this. He's pointing us to grace. For grace is the foundation of the true gospel. Grace is the reason that salvation is through faith and not through works. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is being given something good that you do not deserve. Church family, Christians, we 100% do not deserve to call God our Father and heaven our home. We don't. We never have and we never will deserve it. The cross screams out grace and grace 
screams out, the cross. We are cross people. We glory in the cross. We boast in the cross. We sing about the cross. We praise God for the cross. We point others to the cross. We deflect attention away from ourselves and we shine the spotlight in the way that we live our lives on the cross because nowhere else do we find saving grace. You say, well, what, is that? what does that look like? Does that mean I walk around and just I say, I'm, I boast in the cross, I boast in the cross, I boast in the cross, and I don't ever say anything other than that? Is that what it looks like to boast in the cross on a daily basis? Let me give you what that life looks like. We boast in the cross when we share the gospel with other people. We boast in the cross when we gather with our church family to sing out loud about the cross. We boast in the cross when we're excited to sit under the teaching and preaching of someone who points us to the cross over and over again. We boast in the cross when we generously and sacrificially give our time and our energy and our resources for the building up of Christ's church, whether in our own church or in other churches or in church plants here in America or across the globe. We boast in the cross when we say no to temptations. When someone says, try this, and you say, no, I'm not doing that because Jesus came to destroy my sin and give me new life. You know what you just did? You just boasted in the cross of Christ. We boast in the cross when we humbly but boldly endure persecution for the sake of Christ. God's grace is the only means whereby a person can be saved. And Jesus' death on the cross is the means by which God graciously saves sinners. And therefore, a person who has been saved by God's grace will boast only in the cross of Christ. And thus, boasting in the cross exemplifies a grace-based salvation. Church family, may the cross not simply be jewelry to wear around our neck. I'm not saying that's wrong, but let it not just be that. Let it not just be something that we hang up on our wall in our home. I'm not saying that's wrong, but let it not just be that. May the cross define us as a people. The bloody cross of Christ. Not because of its shape. There's nothing all that special about its shape. Not because of its material. It was just cheap, everyday, run-of-the-mill wood. But because of what happened on that cross, because the son of God died so that you and I could have new life forever and ever and ever. So in times of want. And in times of plenty. In times of suffering. And in times of blessing, in times of failure, and in times of success, in this time of life, and in our hour of death, may our only boast be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Help us to boast only in the cross. Father, my prayer for my life, for the, for the lives of everyone here in our church, and Father, is that as people see the way that we live our lives, as people see the choices that we make, 
Father, that it would be evident that our only hope, our only boast is the cross. Father, may people see that the thing that gets us most excited is thinking about and talking about, singing about, sharing about the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, at the foot of the cross, humble us. Strip away our pride. And help us to worship You with voices raised. Praising You for what You did on the cross. Father, may that be the anthem of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.